can be seated this morning. Listen, these stairs are open for you to come now and pray. We're going to pray as a church, but listen, you know, it's good to sing songs like that that move our hearts, isn't it? And remind us of the truth of Scripture. Listen to this. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How about that good news for us this morning? So we sing it, we read it, we're going to pray in light of that truth. And so you come forward, you come and let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to just bless our time in his word because God has a word for us today to encourage us, to speak into our hearts, and uh, let's allow him to do that. So let's ask the Lord to take our minds off of other things, things outside of this room, things that are going on uh, around us. Let's pray to him. Let's talk to him. God, we just come to you with humble hearts. I mean, to sing that truth and to read that truth humbles us. To know, Lord, that we walk into this room today with nothing. We don't have anything to offer you that could ever repay you for what you've done for us. To recognize, Lord, that when we look at you and we read about you and your word shows us who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us, it humbles us because you are perfect in every way. And then we look at ourselves and we see the messes that we've made and the mistakes that we've made in our lives, the decisions that we've made, the words that we've spoken, the places that we've gone, the attitudes that we've developed in our hearts that no one else knows about, the things that we tell ourselves, and all of the things like anger and resentment and bitterness, lust, self-centeredness and self-selfishness, self-reliance we develop, apathy, indifference, the laziness, the lack of self-control and discipline. God, the things that we know are true about us in different capacities, and then we look to you it humbles us, Lord, to come to you and understand that you are perfect in every way and how you think and how you lived here on earth, Lord Jesus, and how you project yourself to be. And yet, Lord, we come into this place knowing that we have this living hope, a hope, Lord, that's been poured out upon our lives by way of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ upon our lives. And we just come to you with gratitude. God, we come to you just with joy in our hearts and humility, a humility, Lord, that stirs us, fills us with your Holy Spirit, but it fills us, Lord, for action, as we want to please you, as our Heavenly Father, who's given us everything, despite who we are and despite what we've done and despite what we've said and how we've disappointed you time and time and time again, yet you come to us when we just confess and repent, Lord, you don't throw us away, you, you restore us and you redeem us and you use us. We want to please you as our Heavenly Father. And we come to you this morning, Lord, just to tell you that we love you, 
We love you as our Father. We love you as the God who has not only done this work for us by sending your Son into the world. Jesus, not only did you lay down your life and die on the cross and rise from the dead, but we want to tell you that we love you, Lord, not just because of what you've done for us, but because we genuinely love you. God, we pray that in our lives today that you would, you would stir our hearts to action, stir our hearts to worship you, stir our hearts to carry out the work that you've called us to carry out. And so we bring these time, this time to you. We pray your hand to be upon us this morning as we've already prayed, but God, we just pray that you'd stir our hearts to action, stir our hearts to obedience, stir our hearts to an obedient faith that we see in the book of Joshua. And so, Lord, would you move in us? Would you give us a vision for our lives and our church and our community that we, that we sometimes can't see and what you want to do, God? Would you speak into our lives? Help us to find where you're working and join you there. That's what we pray, God, this morning. So, God, as we look to your word, we just pray that you'd open our hearts to receive it and to respond to it, believe in it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. As you can see, we're going to take a break this morning, and we're not going to be in the book of Joshua, we're going to be in the book of Mark, and I want to give you some time to get there. Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We're going to look this morning at this, uh, this very famous story as we're going to look at it in a moment, I'm going to read through the story in just a moment as we uh, consider the, uh, the particular morning and the season that we're in. You know, next Sunday, I just want to remind us, of course, is Easter Sunday. And so in the lobby today, you can pick up as many as you want of these little cards, okay? These little cards are, are there for you. This is an invitation card for you to hand out to someone. What I would encourage you to do is take them home, pray over them, and then when you go to hand them out to your neighbors, maybe you want to go up and down your street and just hand them to your neighbors. Maybe you want to hand them out at work or hand them out at school if you want to. If you, wherever you might go, I want you to pray over them and pray for the people that you're handing them to. Because, you know, we pray for people by name before we, uh, before we, take, those, before we take the gospel to those individuals. And uh, just invite them to Easter Sunday, next Sunday morning, 930, right here in this room. And... Um, Listen, I just want to encourage you to, to do that. Um, there in the lobby, it has information on the front side. On the back side, of course, it has our church information and a little quick uh, invitation from me on behalf of our church. So we've got plenty of those in the lobby. You can pick them up both in the lobby and also down at the connection point. You can pick those up today. This is also what we'll be handing out uh, this coming Saturday at our outreach uh, as we go into the community. And then there's a second tool for you this morning that I would encourage you to pick up. Uh, every one of you, family members, there are plenty of them in the lobby. Um, I believe we have some down in the connection point. But listen, I'm calling our church to pray over the next seven days. We want to pray fervently for God to stir our hearts, move among us. Um, and so there is a prayer guide for you that starts tomorrow morning that ends on Easter Sunday morning, okay? And this is a little prayer guide. It's there in the lobby for you. And what it does is every day of the week, this coming week, it's going to focus on one of the last sayings of Jesus. There's seven of them. 
And so there's a little devotional there, of course, some prayer points for you to pray for. Maybe you want to use that as a family, as a couple, as, uh, as individuals, okay? So that's right there in the lobby as well this morning. So I really want to encourage you to pick one up today, and that will start tomorrow morning. And let's pray together as a church as we are moving through this coming week uh, in the life of our church, okay? And I'll talk about here at the end of the service some of the things that we have in store for our church this coming week, all right? But, uh, but I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 11. We're taking a break from the book of Joshua as we're walking through Joshua on Sundays. But we'll take a break from that and we'll uh, focus this morning on this great and powerful story. I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 1. Say so you're there if you're there. All right, you're awake. Good. Okay, let's do it. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this in chapter 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage in Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord is need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found the colt, and tie, colt tied at a door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? It's a legitimate question. And they told them what Jesus had said, and then they let him go. Verse 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and over uh, others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who, who were followed, who followed, were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, or the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Pretty simple and straightforward story, right? Very simple story to understand. I mean, Jesus gets on this donkey, rides into Jerusalem, looks around a little bit, goes back to where he's staying at, spends the night. Pretty simple, straightforward story. What this is, however, is this celebration, if you will, of the unexpected king, of an unexpected king, Jesus, who's coming into Jerusalem. And um, he is misunderstood and he's, there's this bed of confusion on why he is there and what he is there to do. I think there are some moments in our lives, uh, personally speaking, we think about this, that build anticipation. Am I right? Easter's one of those. We build anticipation for it. Uh, that moment in which you first get your driver's license and there's that building up as a young person and you're trying to build into to getting that driver's license so you can drive for the first time. How about it when you have a child? There's a sense of anticipation towards that, right? When you're about to have a baby, some of you, a couple of you are, some of you just had babies in our church. We've had one or two uh, uh, babies born already this, this spring. There's a sense of anticipation around it. I had a chance to go to one of the Astros games this past weekend. Let me, let me tell you something. There's a sense of anticipation around the Astros this time of year. Repeat time, right? Ready to rain is the phrase for this coming year. And uh, they won game two, which was I was glad because that was the game I was at. First win of the season. I love it. But there was a sense of anticipation. There's that 22 banner now that hangs at Minute Maid Park. A sense of anticipation of, okay, we're going to repeat. We're in the golden years of the Houston Astros, if you don't know that already. Just look at all those years of banners that are up there. 
There's a sense of anticipation that is there. And what's happening here in chapter 11 is this building anticipation of what's happening, of what's about to happen. We enter into here in this chapter, kind of the last week in the life of Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about the gospel of Mark. Mark, the gospel writer, spends about a third of his gospel on this week. So he wants to get he wants to come across, he wants to convey the importance of what happens here in these last few days in the life of Jesus. There is this week that's oftentimes called the Passion Week or the Holy Week or the last week in the life of Jesus. What's happening here in Jerusalem is what is an event known as the Passover. It's a time of celebration. In Jerusalem during this time, what many people will write about is that during this time, the population of Jerusalem grew three times the number. Can you imagine Livingston, Texas, with three times the number of people walking the streets? Three times the number of people in Polk County, roughly 50, 60,000 people in Polk County. Imagine 150,000 all of a sudden during this particular season. That's what we're talking about here in Jerusalem. This is what's happening here. This sense of anticipation and building is not necessarily around Jesus, but it is around this idea of the Passover, this event of the Passover. But you gotta understand, church, this Passover is different, as we've seen here in the story. This is the coming of the King. This is the coming of King Jesus, who's coming into Jerusalem. Crowds here are filled with anticipation. They're filled with expectation, if you will, and that is fueled in part by the large crowds that Jesus has already seen, who has watched him, who has followed him, but also the sayings and the things that he has done. Just look and read the book of John. You see the incredible uh, I am statements that are centered around these incredible events that Jesus does, healing the blind, and he's feeding thousands of people with a little lunch. He's doing all of these incredible miracles, and he's building this following, if you will, of people who are following him. Word is spreading. Word is continuing to spread throughout all of the region. And so there is a building, not only expectation of the Passover in Jerusalem, but there is a building expectation and and, and excitement about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And so there is this sense of excitement, this building of anticipation. Folks, we live in a very chaotic and confusing world, don't we? All you have to do is turn the news on. You see the chaos and the confusion of the world around us. Listen, what's going on in here in this context is not very different than what's going on in our world today. There is still people dying, and there are people doing their own thing and not following God. There are all kinds of marriages that are, that are falling apart. There's all of these things happening then as they are happening now. And, and, and they lived in a world that was confusing and that was chaotic. We live in a world that is confusing and chaotic. And then here comes King Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And what is the significance of that? writing into a world, writing into a city that is still confused and and there is confusion and there is chaos at times in people's lives. What were they to do with Jesus? Here is a legitimate question for us this morning. What are we to do with Jesus? I mean, really? Because if he is the king, then how are we to respond to the king? That's the question they're trying to ask themselves. It's a question we should ask ourselves because we get into a room like this and we worship Jesus and we sing songs to Jesus and all of those things. But, But how are we to respond to him, to our king? Well, that's a good question. I want to show you this morning just a few ways in which we're to respond to the king, to our king, just based off of the story. 
Because even though it's a very simple and very straightforward story, it's a very profound story in our lives. It's a very, it's a very important story that we ought to remember and understand. Why should you trust and follow Jesus? Why should you worship Jesus? Well, here's what I want to say to you this morning. First and foremost, and you can write these down because I'm just going to kind of break down the story for us so we can see this this morning and then really understand what God wants us to understand and take away from this kind of a story. We should worship Jesus. We should trust and follow Jesus. You should trust and follow Jesus because he is in, number one, control. He's exclusively in control. There's no one else but Jesus who is in control. I mean, do you notice the story, how the story begins and unfolds for us? Look at the text again with me in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. He's in control. Now, think in terms of where he is. He comes into Bethphage, and he then arrives at Bethany. You know that, do you know that town? Bethany is where Mary and Martha are from. You know the story? It's where Lazarus, in John chapter 11, when Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, yes, same town, same place. This is the, the place, this is the location that Jesus is going to stage himself and live here before he comes back into Jerusalem. He goes out and he comes back in to Bethany. Along the way, he picks up this man, this gentleman who is now following him, and he's not one of the disciples, but he's one of the crowd. He's a member in the crowd. His name is Bartimaeus. If you go back to chapter 10, right before chapter 11, what's happened? Bartimaeus is a man who is what? Blind. He cannot see, and Jesus brings him sight. In verse 52 of chapter 10, look at it in your Bibles. And Jesus said to him, go your way to Bartimaeus, and your faith has made you well. But watch this. And immediately he recovered his sight and did what? followed him on the way. That's the kind of reaction that we have. When Jesus impacts your life, when Jesus transforms your life, when Jesus comes into your life in a powerful way, you follow him for the rest of your life. That's what you do. Barnabas has now joined the crowd. He's not part of the disciples, but he is part of the crowd of the followers of Jesus who were going with him. And this is the lay of the land, right? And so we have this crowd. If you look back at chapter 10, verse 32, there seems to be a sense of fear that's among the group. And they were on the road and going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who were following were what? Afraid. Talking and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was about to happen. Jesus is laying out and giving them a lay of the land. This is about to happen in Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. The king of King of man is going to die on the cross, right? He's going to be risen from the dead. All of this, the, the, the disciples don't understand this. The crowd fully don't grasp it. But there's a sense of fear that's going to then lead into this celebration, this excitement. So it's juxtaposed, the fear of the crowd entering with Jesus who are kind of following him. And then there's the crowd in Jerusalem who are there that are celebrating and excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And there is this kind of juxtaposition of the two that is there. But I want you to notice two things here. Because two things here at the beginning of chapter 11, how Jesus shows us that he's in control. He sends two of his disciples ahead in verse 1. Look at verse 2 again. And said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately uh, as you enter into enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has has ever sat. 
untie it and bring it. Now, here's the thing. You understand, Jesus is deliberately in control. And so when he sends him to, sends these two men to this cult, this is an untrained cult. This is a young, this is an unridden cult that is tied up. And you see that word immediately in verse two? In verse two? He's going to come back in verse three and say what? Immediately? In other words, twice here, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Mark uses the word immediately in the words of Jesus, to quote Jesus. And he's going to use this 12 times throughout the book of Mark. This word immediately is very important to Mark because what God says is he wants immediacy in our lives. Jesus wanted immediacy in his disciples' lives. And you see it there. Something more significant is going on than just riding on this colt or this donkey as he's coming into Jerusalem. And so he's deliberately in control, but that deliberates, deliberates, uh, Jesus is rather is deliberate, but he's also exclusively in control in every way. Now, you got to understand, this has come somewhat of an Old Testament picture that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 6, as the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem. It rides on something that is un, has never, where the, the Ark of the Covenant has not ridden. David wants the Ark of the Covenant to be ridden on something that has not been ridden on before. And the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem in that sense. Listen, what Jesus is doing here is simply he is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the presence of God coming into Jerusalem in that sense. The fact of the matter is, at all times, Jesus Christ is exclusively in control. He was control in control then. He is in control of our lives even today. He is the Lord and the master of every detail. He knows the what, he knows the when. Why should you follow him? Why should you trust and follow Jesus? Why should you worship Jesus? Why should you carry out of here as Christians this confidence in your own heart that you should trust and follow? Why do you tell others about him? Why should we worship him and follow him and trust him this week? Why should we pray to him this week? Why should we invite people to Easter Sunday morning? Why? Because he's exclusively in control. He is the owner of every detail. But there's something else I want to show you about worshiping Jesus. I mean, you should worship him because he fulfills every single word of God. He fulfills all the words of God. This isn't something that we, we, we believe, someone in which we believe in or somehow have a casual understanding of. I mean, look at the story with me again. The disciples act, and then we see this dramatic scene begin to play out that's based on the deliberate acts of Jesus Christ. Look with me at there at verse 4. And they went, and they found a colt and the, at a door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of these standing there said, what are you doing untying the colt? Let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you on a Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and just took your truck, what would you do? Would you ask? Would you say, hey, hey, great, thanks for coming. Hey, hey, listen, here, boom, here's the keys. Would you do that? No, we wouldn't. Why are you on my property, number one, right? We're in Texas. Just joking. I know y'all. No, but the fact of the matter is, why, you know, we, we would ask those questions, right? We would ask, we would think, like, what is going on here, right? Legitimate question in verse 5. What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had need of it, and they let them go, which is incredibly remarkable. 
Look at verse 7, the simplicity of the statement of what happens in verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now that may be a small detail that you might pass over, but that is a dramatic action. They bring this colt to Jesus, and then they just take their outer coats off, and they just throw it on the, on the donkey for Jesus to begin to ride on. What is going on here? There's more than, than that going on here. Well, of course, we know, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. If you go back to all the way back to Zechariah chapter 9, I've got it here on the screens for you this morning. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is the prophecy that Zechariah would say, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the, ba- the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations and rule His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, behold, of the blood of the covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. He goes on to say this in verse 14 of Zechariah 9, then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will be forth, will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling sto- uh, tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and he shall he will be full like a bow like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day the Lord their God will save them. As the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his hand. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. The fact of the matter is, when you read a passage like that and you think, well, how does that connect with what Jesus is doing here? It is the fulfillment of the words of Zechariah. By the way, 500 years before. When Zechariah pens this in Zechariah 9, 500 years, longer than our nation's ever been on this earth, that prophecy is going to be fulfilled right here in Mark chapter 11. Jesus fulfills every word that God has given in his word. Why should you trust and follow Jesus? Not because he's a good guy. Not because he turns water into wine or he, 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 he somehow, you know, feeds thousands of people with a little lunch. Not because he has this ability to heal or this has this ability. You should worship, to, you should worship and you should trust and follow Jesus Christ. Not because of some things that he did or some kind of great personality that he had. It's because he is the, literally the f- fulfillment of every word of God in his word. That's why you should trust and follow him. In every way, whatever the Bible has said has been pointing to Jesus Christ and the ultimate fulfillment of it all. That's why you should trust and follow Jesus. Jesus is clear that in everything in the Old Testament, he's the fulfillment of it all. You see, he's exclusively in control, yes, 
He's the fulfillment of all the words of God, but the reason you should trust and follow him and why I should trust and follow him is because he embodies humility. I mean, look at the text again and, and notice in, that what, what happens here is this scene unfolds again in verse 7 and in verse 8. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. Deliberate action, deliberate words, this dramatic scene, and what does it do? It fuels the enthusiasm, it fuels the, the excitement of the crowd. Spontaneously, what we see in these two verses is that people are going and taking branches and they're throwing them down on the ground. They're taking their cloaks off, throwing them on the ground. That is radical. Has anyone ever done that to you? Has anyone ever just, you know, when you're coming into church on a Sunday morning, taking their sport coats off or their jackets off and throwing it on the ground and letting you walk in? Oh, it's a little muddy there. Has any man, ladies, taken their sport coats and thrown them on the ground so you don't get your feet wet? Not shaming you guys. All I'm saying is this, that's radical. Something significant is going on here in these verses. And what you have to understand, what I need to understand, what we need to understand collectively is that this is a time of celebration, but it is an inauguration of a king who is entering into Jerusalem. Jesus openly and he intentionally presents himself as the Messiah, but with humility. There's no pomp and there's no circumstance here coming into Jerusalem. He's coming in as a conquering king, but he's not coming in through the pomp and the circumstance. He's coming in with incredible humility. He's not coming in as a warlike conqueror, conquering, you know, something ahead of him. He is holy and perfect in every way. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, but he comes with meekness and with lowliness. He comes with humility. He comes with simplicity. What a contrast to the Roman Caesars that would enter into Rome with the incredible pomp and circumstance. The Caesars standing on the backside of a chariot as thousands upon thousands of people of Roman citizens would, would line the entrance to Rome as the conquering king would enter into the city, throwing roses down and blasting trumpets. And there comes the conquering king who has conquered all of these peoples out there on behalf of the Roman Empire. Jesus comes, not as a conquering king, although they saw him as a conquering king over the Romans. He's coming to destroy and conquer sin and death. That's what he's coming to do. He's coming to do this so that you and I can walk into Central Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and worship. That's why he's doing this. We can walk around not with our heads held low, but with our heads held high, with an incredible hope, with the Spirit of God who fills us with this truth, fills us with this incredible hope. Why? Because Jesus comes into Jerusalem in this way, conquering the things that he needs to conquer, the greatest needs of our lives, not a conquering, uh, not an oppressive government, not an oppressive this or not an oppressive that, but our sinful, broken lives. That's why Jesus comes into Jerusalem in this way. He comes with humility. He embodies it in every respect. You should worship and you should trust and follow Jesus because he embodies this humility. He's the only one who can do it. But there's a fourth one, and I want to show you right here in the text, and it's very simple for us to understand. You should worship him because he alone can save. He alone can save. 
I mean, look at what happens in the response of the crowd in verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And look at verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They shout Hosanna, which means save, I pray. That's what the word means. Save, I pray. Way back in Psalm 118, verse 26, we see a very similar phrase. Psalm 18, 118, verse 26. It said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Oh, they recognize him as the Savior and as a liberator. But watch this, because here in this story, their words are marked by confusion. They expect this temporary, political, somehow military Savior. The mean, bad Romans are the oppressors. They see him coming into Jerusalem in this political, temporary, militarized Savior and Lord who's going to save us from all of this oppression, but that's not why Jesus came. He came to defeat sin and death. So Jesus enters Jerusalem in this way. Listen, just as they and many that day followed him, Because he was the king who was worthy to be worshipped, you and I ought to follow him as the king who is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy, right? That's why we sing to him. But if we don't listen, if we don't purpose to know his gospel, if we don't purpose to, to, to know him in a personal way, then we'll miss him altogether, just as many on that day missed him altogether. So when you don't have a clear understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ and why he came and what he came to do, then you don't make Jesus your own. He becomes this this kind of superficial, political type of figure. They celebrated him that day. Many that day celebrated him. But the king that they expected to come didn't show up. He didn't show up. And they were confused. You see, Jesus came as a suffering servant, didn't he? He came to lay his life down, not to, not to wipe out all of those people that were oppressing them. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came to defeat sin and death. And so listen, we ought to worship him, and you ought to worship Jesus for who he is and what he came to do. You and I ought to worship him because of the fact that he's in control in all ways, in all things. Because the very things that God said would happen came to fruition in every way, in every capacity in Jesus. He fulfills everything. He embodies humility. And he came to save. He came to save us. When you learn and you love and you live the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ out in your life, your focus and the focus of our lives will be on Jesus Christ and his word And when that happens in our life, listen, Christian, listen, church, when that happens in our life, then it will propel us to do the things God wants us to do, to live the way he wants us to live. He came as a king to bring peace. He came as a king to bring about peace in our hearts between us and God. What a contrast to what we saw in Nashville this past week. Six people 
gunned down and murdered in a school. Cynthia Peake, 61 years old, was a teacher, a substitute teacher, a mother of three who was well-loved in that community. Evelyn Diehouse was a nine-year-old little girl. Mike Hill was a 61-year-old custodian. He'd worked for the school and the church for 14 years. It's seven children, 14 grandchildren, well-loved in that school and among that church family. Catherine Kuntz, who was the principal or the head of the school, 60 years old. Young lady named Haley, the pastor's daughter, nine years old, shot and killed in her school. The pastor of that church in the aftermath, who was the father, spoke on behalf of the family. And this is what they said. Through tears, we know and we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. What a contrast to Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. Who comes into a world where there is confusion and chaos and anger and hatred and evil. A young woman who is confused about her own heart, about her own life, about her own sexuality. And she lost track and has lost track of who God made her to be to begin with. Chooses to walk into a school and a church and gun down innocent people. What a contrast. You see, what it reminds us of in something like that where we see Jesus and the beauty of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a conquering king. The beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives this pastor and his wife and those little boys hope that the only sister that they had, the only little girl they had, was gunned down in the hallway of her school at nine years old. The same hope that gives them the ability to make a statement like that is the same hope that you and I sing about. Because Jesus is who he said he is, he did what he said he would do. And so we should worship him. We should live for him. Because understand this, that what the Palm Sunday does for us and what this season does for us is it reminds us that peace, the peace of the nations, the peace of our homes, the peace of our churches, the peace of our communities, the peace of our schools come through the agony of the cross. Jesus took the ugly path so that you and I don't have to. So that we aren't cut off from God. And he gives us incredible hope. You see, you walk into Holy Week, you walk into the Passion Week, and you remember the last week in the life of Jesus. When you go to Walmart or HEB, or you go to your work tomorrow morning, or you go off to school, walk in understanding that you are filled with the truth of Jesus Christ. That he isn't just this 
casual person that I really like or that I've kind of attached myself to. He is your life. So never shy away from him. Never shy away from him. The fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'll take that to your grave. Amen? And so we worship him. That's what you do with Jesus who comes into Jerusalem, who comes into our lives. You worship him. You trust and you follow him. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. You know, as we have a time where we respond to his word, let me just say this to you this morning. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around, no one looking at me. But I just, I just want to encourage you this morning. Man, we have a faith that is worth following. We have a Jesus who is worth following every day. And I just want to encourage you this morning that he's with you, that he walks with you, Christian, through life's difficulties, confusion, the chaos of the world that you can't make sense of. He's with you. And I also want to just say to you this morning, if you haven't trusted and followed Jesus, you need to today. You're not going to find hope and you're not going to find peace in this world, I'll tell you that. You're not going to find hope and peace in a culture that is consistently telling you what you want to hear. It's not going to be found in your heart telling you something that gives you peace today, but the next day you're just back in chaos and confusion again. You're going to only find that hope and peace through Jesus Christ. That is how you and I were designed. That is the God who created you, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. The only way that that can happen is in, in, in every respect he did the work. But what he requires of you to do is to have faith and to step out and turn away from your sin and start following him with your life. You get serious about following him. And if you'll follow him with your heart and with your life, he comes into your life. And he, he, he gives you a brand new life. He doesn't make your life better. He gives you a new life. And he restores and he redeems you and he puts you on the pathway of following him. Just ask people around you who have done that. Listen, I'm going to be here at the front. We'll have time where we can respond to him as we stand and sing. And when you come, come if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. Come if you're ready to join our church or be baptized, of course. Come if you just want to come here at the front and just pray here at the, at the front. We call this an altar during this time. And, and, and you just come and you pray at these stairs over something, over some matter, over an issue in your heart. Maybe you need to turn it over to the Lord. I'm always here available to pray with you here at the front and waiting and ready to pray with you in any way. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing this song together. God, as we come to you, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the hope that, uh, that we have in uh, the work of your son. And we don't have to guess or wonder if he has done what he said he will do. He has already done it. And Jesus, just as you came as king, you will come again as our king. And we long and we wait for that. We thank you for the start of this week. We pray for your hand to be with us this morning, even now. Give us courage to respond to you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us and let's sing. the 
Say 